Hi folks. On this episode, we speak to Patrick McNabb, co-founder at TracerDAO and Mycelium. TracerDAO are building decentralized derivatives infrastructure on Ethereum, and they hope to provide more transparent and effective ways for individuals and firms to manage their risk. Patrick tells us about the origins of TracerDAO and the Mycelium team's experience in providing Oracle data to multiple blockchain assets. He tells us about their vision for open financial infrastructure and their plans to expand the scope of the TracerDAO contracts. I hope you enjoy the show. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. So Patrick, thanks so much for joining me on today's show. I really appreciate you coming on. Very happy to be here, Jonathan. I'm pretty keen to, to talk a little bit more about uh, what we're doing at Tracer and uh, and share that throughout the Kraken audience. Yeah, well, one thing I'd love for you to do is tell me, kind of go backwards in time, but pre-Tracer, or just tell me a little bit about your background, how you, how you came to crypto more generally. Sure thing. So uh, with a co-founder, Ash and I, we were um, in around university um, looking to start up a uh, an agricultural microfinancing uh, solution here in Australia. So um, enabling people to, say, buy into a, a paddock of wheat or um, fractionalize a, a cattle and um, or fra- fractionalize cattle and be able to buy portions of, of, of the future returns of commodities along the Australian supply chain uh, around that time. And um, it was also around that time that we, we became pretty aware of what was going on in DeFi on, on Ethereum and well, it wasn't really DeFi back then, but some of the earlier uh, projects that were forming like OX and Maker, uh, as well as uh, DYDX back then, um, and realized that this could really be a, uh, a, a next foundation for uh, for finance to be conducted on and, and, and smart contracts really driving that. So um, it's, it's around that time that we put university on hold and, and went really deep into discovering the technology um, that was providing the bedrock for what, what's now grown into DeFi. And um, I guess where we started off in that journey uh, upon like going through the ropes of trying to figure out how we could build this agricultural solution was that there was a massive requirement for uh, secure off-chain data uh, to be fed into smart contracts. So um, pretty early on, we, we, we became uh, involved within the Chainlink community um, with Mycelium and we, we became one of the first oracles um, set up within the Chainlink network and uh, that that led us into uh, working with teams like Synthetix and Aave quite early on um, through 2019 and, and 2020 and feeding those uh, those crypto prices to, to start into some of the contracts and um, gave us a really deep understanding of obviously what was going on within the space, um, both from uh, the perspective is who, of who is using it, how you could build it, um, and, and where it could be going. So um, that's that's basically uh, where where we made our start and um, provided the foundations for us to have the idea of Tracer. Well, tell me about you, you mentioned one of the um, businesses that you're involved with, and I believe it's still there uh, in the background, and it's kind of you know one of your focus points is mycelium. Can you tell us a little a little bit about that? Sure. So mycelium's uh, more the parent organization uh, that, that supports everything that um, that myself and a few other co-founders uh, have been building uh, alongside the team for the last sort of three years now. Uh, one portion of, of Mycelium is providing node infrastructure. So 
Um, as I mentioned, we're one of the first oracles on the Chainlink network. We now supply uh, around 750 different data feeds uh, that really backbone a lot of what's going on in DeFi through the Chainlink network, uh, servicing across 10 different uh, blockchains and and um, in- ensuring that the DeFi applications that are being built are, are secure with the like 100% uptime infrastructure that we're running and, and connecting to those data feeds. Uh, so Mycelium's uh, effectively the organization that has spawned uh, TracerDAO uh, and we provide uh, the, the critical support and the critical um, critical growth mindset for, for the TracerDAO ecosystem to evolve. Okay, well... We have to. You have to tell us what TracerDAO is now. We've got there. So yeah, how did how did that start? I mean, you've given us a bit of background, but what, yeah, what are the key tenets of TracerDAO? Why is it a DAO? Firstly, I guess, and and what are the kind of things that you're doing? Yeah, I'll start with the the white tracer and and then probably get into the DAO piece. Um, so uh, obviously, with starting off at looking at the agricultural supply chain uh, there and and how risk was shared throughout that. Uh, that, that supply chain, we'd always had a, uh, a risk management mindset and um, and then, then working in with some of the earlier derivatives uh, protocols such as synthetics, uh, we realized that we had a, a great opportunity to build really robust, decentralized derivatives infrastructure uh, that people could rely on and, and build on top of um, derivative smart contracts that, that could be dependent on um, and, and weren't in the uh, the control or purview of a of a third party necessarily, um, so that that leads us effectively to the DAO piece and and why Tracer is a DAO. So um, it's a decentralized autonomous organization that effectively governs uh, the, the financial infrastructure that we're laying down. Uh, so we we effectively imagine a world where um, currently right now you've got many different derivatives clearinghouses that are, that are centralized and. Um, exist within siloed operating systems and um, d- running different software and uh, connected up to in different ways with many different broker dealer intermediaries set up between the the end user of the product and and the actual clearing engine uh, it, itself and obviously a massive part of what's going on within decentralized finance is that that disintermediation piece of of those middlemen but it's also enabling that transition to a uh, single clearing layer effectively rather than many different um, clearing houses and in that sense uh, the smart contracts that are built on top um, decentralized by nature in terms of the um, the infrastructure that, that they're getting built on um, provide a, a much more robust um, robust backbone for the the, the trade uh, the derivative transactions to occur um, where you, you can't have somebody say turn off the market for for a few hours um, in, in terms of a, a short squeeze occurring or, or something of the likes uh, so that's that's the why of tracer and um, where the DAO again comes in is ensuring that um, the people that are using the infrastructure, the people that are plugged into the infrastructure uh, and stakeholders of the infrastructure can have that ability to openly and effectively govern uh, the way that we trade and how the contracts are set up. That's really, really fascinating. And, I, and we, I've talked to a couple of different teams about the challenges that they face with that. And I'd like to come back to that with you to, to get some insight into, into um you know, what has worked, what hasn't worked. But I'd, before we get there, it'd be cool if you could expand on some of the, you know, the products really, I guess, that you guys have brought to market in a bit more detail. So, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple that you have, you know, that are publicly available. There's a couple of videos out there for people who want to get a bit deeper, um, you know, for example, perpetual pools and, 
and things like that. But yeah, it'd be great if you could talk about some of the the financial services. So, so you know, these permissionless contracts and how you bring them to market, um, the kind of things that go into um, you know your, your building of them, and 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 are they audited for you know like what are these things, and also what do they do? That'd be that'd be really helpful. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully they are very audited, <laughs> um, and we've we've had zero exploits uh, within the tracer contracts, which can't be said for too many people building uh, within the decentralized finance space. But no, we take our security extremely extremely seriously and and go through multiple auditing auditing phases. Uh, but initially, we launched that's right, perpetual pools uh, towards September uh, last year. So, what perpetual pools are? They're, they're quite a similar um, primitive to a perpetual swap uh, contract, uh, and similar in nature as well for the traditional financial listeners to a leveraged ETF um, type structure. Uh, although we've financially engineered um, something that's quite novel and and extendable in terms of its use cases. So uh, what perpetual pools enable are um, for fungible leveraged tokens or leveraged positions um, to be created and then traded and and borrowed and lent uh, throughout DeFi or or used however um, anybody would would like to use those ERC-20s. They could hold them in their wallet, uh, for example. Uh, So along with that, uh, there's no margin accounts that, that people have to worry about maintaining with perpetual pools. You simply uh, stake your conviction in the sense of if you want to mint a a 3x short Bitcoin token and hold that over a period of three months, you can mint that, not have to worry about your margins. Um, The token will uh, effectively go down to zero if if the price price moves in that direction. But if the price picks back up and and goes back along over time, then um, you'll, you'll be tracking the price of Bitcoin at a at a three X multiple, uh, quite quite closely. Uh, so that's that's perpetual pools. It's it's quite a new financial primitive um, we've engineered. But upcoming this year, we'll also be releasing a, a staple perpetual swap uh, contract product that that people will be able to access. And and to date, who are the who are your users, and, and why are they coming to you um, versus other more centralized options? Not that there's not that there's identical products. I, but yeah, it'd be great for you to tell me a little bit about why, you know, why the use case. Yeah, so where we're seeing a, a decent amount of uh, adoption and, and uptick at the moment is in um, a few DAO communities starting to leverage the uh, the perpetual pools. So um, the native, uh, native token within these DAO communities, um, there's currently not many derivatives markets um, that are set up for people to, to manage their positions. So... Um, perpetual pools have been a great avenue for um, s- some projects coming in and, and their communities um, able to mint and, and burn uh, t- t- to their desire there. Um, as well as that, uh, we, we've just got a, a fair few larger um, LPs and, and traders that, that are coming in to uh, just manage their, their books and, and their positions by taking out um, whichever relevant side of the, the position possible. Uh, but, or that, that they require to do so rather to, to manage their uh, their portfolio. Um, but as well as that uh, too, um, we've got a variety of different people that are also uh, arbitraging uh, some of the contracts. So there are in, in the same same way perpetual swap contracts and, and just general trading markets uh, are set up. Um, there's financial opportunities for traders to, to get in and, uh, and make returns um, within the current perpetual pool uh, contract setup. 
And is that for those people who are looking for those kinds of opportunities? Are they are they looking at your market? Well, your you know your product, uh, and then comparing that with other exchanges, or is it is it all in the in the one ecosystem that they're finding those opportunities? Yes, some of those more sophisticated traders are certainly looking at uh, how how some of these contracts are priced over a variety of different exchanges and uh, and the returns that they could get by arbitraging on trace of perpetual pools versus uh, another uh, another contract type or um, a, another venue that, that could be servicing either leveraged uh, leveraged trading or or anything along those lines um, but as well as that uh, there's also just basic um, opportunities with respect to if one side of the pool the perpetual pool is unbalanced and this is going into the, the financial engineering a little bit more um, there's an incentive to uh, take the other side of the position effectively um, in earning more of an effective gain or effective profit and loss for, for for entering into that position. Let's climb back up the up the stack a little bit. Um, but one last question, I guess, for people who might be confused as to how, because you know, there's not there's not actual Bitcoin in this in this contract, right? Like um, Bitcoin doesn't necessarily play into it directly. But how does that price? For example, if you had a Bitcoin swap, and I know that that's one that you you do have out there, um, how does that get there? And tell me a little bit. I mean, tell our listener about how the Oracle works, because I know you guys are experts in oracles. Yeah, for sure. So, if anybody is familiar with uh, just traditional derivatives markets, um, they'll have a fairly decent understanding of of how these types of contracts do work. But effectively, uh, perpetual pools can be settled in any underlying uh, currency or, or token. Uh, the majority of our markets are settled in US dollar stable coins. Uh, so what that means is that um, when you're minting or burning, say, a Bitcoin uh, position, a 3x Bitcoin long position, um, you're leveraging US dollar stable coin um, to mint and, and create that position. And that is what is uh, held within the perpetual pool from then on. Um, so again, similar to a leveraged ETF, what then happens is um, there's a rebalancing event um, where an oracle price, or for the traditional derivatives people, a, a reference rate, uh, a reference price is, is used and fed into that uh, derivative contract um, to then ensure that funds are are effectively rebalanced and uh, and settled between the counterparties that are engaged within that agreement. So, so what occurs is a price of Bitcoin. Let's say again. Um, is fed into the perpetual pool smart contract through an oracle network. Uh, Mycelium node, as mentioned before, would be one of those oracles in the oracle network. Um, so the price is fed into the contract, the Bitcoin price is updated, and then one counterparty will effectively immediately pay another counterparty based off of the price movement. And, and by that, by pay, what you mean is, um, and let's just remind everyone here that this is a on-chain so a you know an ethereum-based smart contract inverted commas which means that the payment happens automatically yes that's right it's a deterministic outcome based off mm. of the oracle price feed that's that's inserted and uh, there's no third party that's making that transaction happen it's all in the smart contract logic um, determined by the, the price feed that's fed in uh, which is obviously why uh, having a, a secure oracle and, and an unexploitable, inexploitable oracle is, is incredibly important. 
and to to just kind of reiterate to to the listener as well, I guess the thing that's interesting here, and the thing that is important to remember, is that um, sure, this kind of thing is possible to a certain extent if you were to run this, you know, on a centralized market. But this is completely decentralized. So there's no one organization holding the funds on behalf of the counterparties and then novating and you know crossing those. Uh, pools for on behalf of the users at the time of the at the time of the uh, rebalance. It's just it's it's fully decentralized and automated on on chain. That's right. Yeah, and I think that point of custody is a is a really good one to make. Around we've entered a an incredible new paradigm where uh, contracts and code uh, can effectively be the custodians of funds um, in a way that that they haven't been able to be before. Uh, so uh, this is this is what regulation is is certainly trying to tackle at the moment and wrap their head around regulators uh, is is that idea of a, another agent that that can be this custody that isn't necessarily a human isn't necessarily a trust but it's a smart contract that exists on a open transparent public blockchain uh, and that piece and how that fits into regulation is a is a bit of a uh, a bit of a wild one for people and it's it's good to see um, jurisdictions like Australia as well making really positive steps and acknowledging that um, this is a different paradigm so um, with the digital services act that um, they've they've entertained or at least announced that um, there'll be there'll be some pursuant of um, there'll be an exploration into these the smart contracts as custodians, which is a really positive step for the industry in Australia as a whole. Um, yeah, we're all, everyone in the industry here is very much involved in this process, and I think there's some, there's a lot of good things that can come of it. And the important thing is, you know, to reiterate to everyone is that this is this is all very new as well. So um, we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to stamp out the the potential for really innovative um, products like these. And, and I think to also to reiterate. Um, the interesting thing from my point of view here is that uh, Tracer, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you guys are just building these contracts. Um, you're not taking a financial position in the contracts yourself. You're not making a market here per se. For you, or you might be, I don't know. You tell me. But my assumption here is that you guys are infrastructure provider. Is that right? That's exactly right, yeah. So Tracer is a decentralized derivatives infrastructure protocol. That's that's exactly right. We're not, uh, we're not market making nor ensuring that um that there's liquidity in the pool on our end that's that's not what, what we do that's um there's service providers that exist within decentralized finance and and um the crypto space generally that, that are very proficient at, at these types of things and do do enable that uh, that order flow to be met uh, for the people that are looking to leverage the contracts yeah i mean this is really the the cutting edge because i had a chat to the guys at Ave, and that was really fascinating to learn about the way they think about their protocol and it's the same way that you're describing tracer there which is that you know you're building rails and, and then p- counterparties come to play the same way that counterparties come to markets in traditional finance but there's no simulacrum you know for for this in in traditional finance spaces it's not really something you can point to as a as a as a as in a kind of like a an off chain version of what you guys are doing because if you were to do that you're going to a bank and the bank's making the market so so yeah it's really divorced from from that direct um, maker kind of uh, relationship that that traditional financial institutions have to have in order to create infrastructure like this in in tradi- you know in tradfi 
For sure. And I think just on that point as well, like you, you are seeing just increasing demand for transparency over those rails and, and the rules that are being set and formed in those financial rails. Uh, again, like the, the GameStop debacle, um, whatever view you have in, in who was right or who was wrong, uh, there was seemingly a misunderstanding of um, the fact that people could turn off the markets or uh, prevent retail access to, to funds and, and transactions. Uh, that that idea, who, whomever was responsible, again, that's it's not really uh, the point. It's that there wasn't a, a massive um, a piece of transparency or not everybody was able to utilise that financial infrastructure in the same way. Um, there were people that had privileged access. There, there were people that were able to quickly set the rules and market participants ended up confused and, and disenchanted with the way in which that infrastructure worked. Uh, and this is the promise, again, of, of decentralized finance that's being conducted in the open, transparent contracts, um, decentralized autonomous organizations that are voting on the rules. Everyone's aware of the rules uh, w- within the market they're participating in. And you've got that extra level of trust uh, with that transparency and with that open rule setting that really is quite difficult to replicate within the traditional financial market space. Yeah, that's that's. I would fully agree with that. I mean, you use the word um, disenchanted. I think people were definitely they they they're angry out there about the people who got you know excluded from the market. Well, they were disenfranchised more so than disenchanted. They were they were. Mm. Their, their access to markets were, were, was kind of, let's call it arbitrarily cut off. Um, yeah, that's it. To and a certain you, extent. You could argue yeah. as well. That's right. And you could argue as well that um, the the access to markets should be probably a, a fundamental right that people have and it shouldn't be able to be turned off on them. Uh, I guess that's, that's at the end of the day, um, the, the rules that are set in place by jurisdictions and nationalities. But uh, I think uh, online markets have at least in the crypto space that are 24-7, people can access them at all times, have proven uh, that that it's just a superior model and um, people deserve the right, in my eyes, to be able to access their funds, access their position, close them out, transact them at any point in time. That's That should be uh, more, more, of a, more of a thing in my eyes. Yeah, let's invert it. That should be the standard. I mean, so so I think there are some obvious advantages when you're talking about transparency when it comes to this alternate infrastructure that you guys are building, you know, alternate financial infrastructure. Um, that being said, you know, I speak to a lot of projects and they all face the same kind of challenges, which are the layer one challenges, you know, scaling and cost. So one thing that, I, you know, you'd have to assume, you know, your, your, the Traced Out contract is not a simple contract so therefore it's going to be a little bit more costly to run on ethereum so there's going to be fees involved so so these you know the actions that these people take they're paying for that transparency and and that has been argued to be a bit you know to to kind of well to to be too expensive compared to traditional mm. markets and so it, you know how are you guys going to compete with the the cost base um are you looking at ways to you know to to reduce that are you looking at other protocols, or are you just going to wait for Ethereum to fix itself? Yeah, so we are currently deployed on a Ethereum layer two roll-up solution. So what that means is uh, it's a just scaling solution that inherits the underlying security and, and decentralization of uh, what people are calling the layer one Ethereum network, uh, and effectively utilizing a again secure. Um, distribution of, of nodes that are built on top of Ethereum and then rolling those transactions up to Ethereum every every so often. 
Um, so we're deployed on Arbitrum. Trace is deployed on Arbitrum, uh, which is an optimistic roll-up solution. Uh, so it still has uh, fees involved in that uh, in that uh, roll-up in the same way that the Ethereum Layer 1 has, has fees. Um, you, you pay in ETH on Arbitrum and the transaction fees are drastically reduced uh, due to the, the scaling uh, principles that the Arbitrum team have applied there. So yeah, it's certainly an ongoing um, battle that, that the entire DeFi and GameFi and NFT and p- people building on uh, open blockchains generally are facing around scaling. Um, but I think uh, we're seeing much more sophistication uh, towards last year and throughout this year with your layer two solutions. And that's just going to keep keep on keep on improving um, with the likes of ZK Sync and StarkNet pushing for uh, what are called zero knowledge rollups, uh, which are slightly different to optimistic rollups. But again, same in principle of of enabling forces that are going to scale Ethereum and provide cheaper transactions. And you know, you mentioned at the top end of the call that you've you have deployed on multiple blockchains. Are you is Tracer going to deploy on multi multiple blockchains? Obviously, Arbitrum kind of is to a certain extent, but it's it's attached. It's it's on top of Ethereum. But are you looking at other blockchains? And and if not, why not? Yeah. So how we evaluate deployment is certainly around uh, security, decentralization, and liquidity. Those those sort of three forces, driving forces, are how we look to assess uh, where the infrastructure is going to be deployed. Because we think that those three principles are, at the end of the day, going to best serve users of of the tracer infrastructure. Uh, so right now, Ethereum and its associated layer two rollup solutions that are that are being built on top of it. Um, achieve that decentralization security and for the most part liquidity as well arbitrum at the moment has i think more than a bit over two billion in liquidity um deployed on on that network that it's hosted in tracer uh, curve Aave, and a fair few other uh, decentralized primitives and, and protocols that, that have been built and deployed uh, within that network uh, i think in terms of assessing other blockchains outside of the ethereum ecosystem it's there's a lot of great work being built for sure uh, in in the Cosmos ecosystem. I think Evmos uh, EVMOS is doing a great job and, and might provide a, a credible um, place for Solidity developers and smart contract developers to, to deploy their existing uh, Ethereum contracts onto uh, EVMOS and, and join up with the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, but I think still a lot of your builders are, are very invested in Ethereum. Um, they've learnt, learnt, learnt the Solidity language and a lot of the users are, are still primarily on Ethereum. So um, the scale out that we saw last year and even towards the start of the year of, of people deploying on alternate blockchains and, and getting funded up in incredible amounts um, for deploying on those chains. Uh, I think you're going to see, start to see some of those users flock back to, or some of those builders flock back to Ethereum um, because that's where the users are at at the end of the day and where the liquidity and, and security principles are, are, are held. I, I think you probably find a lot of people agreeing, but yeah, the next the next 12 months will be really interesting, I think, across the whole space. Um, all right, well, Patrick, we're getting, I think we're getting towards the end of our call, but I did, I did want to get one last question from you which is you know what's what's next you mentioned earlier that there's been another product but what let's look a little bit over that horizon what do you see coming over the next six to twelve for you guys yeah the next six to twelve will look like our perpetual pools v2 version being launched uh, in in the coming month which is very exciting we're 
have undergoing a testnet uh, trading competition quite soon for for those contracts. So um, certainly jump on to the Tracer Twitter and, and keep up with what's going on there and, and test out the, the new contracts. We're going to have some NFT indices deployed, which are very exciting. So you'll be able to trade uh, trade the, the Punk Index or the Bored Ape uh, Index or the Cool Cat Index, which is something that hasn't existed at all uh, if in, at, at a sophisticated level within DeFi yet. Uh, so we're really excited to be the first people to bring that style of product um, to market and, and enable people to, to use that. Uh, but alongside that, looking further into the future, we will have a perpetual swap product deployed. And uh, and with that, uh, building structured products on top of both the perpetual pool and, and swap contracts and enabling people to just simply invest and earn a yield whilst those funds can deterministically, uh, through smart contracts, be leveraged to uh, provide efficiency and market making for some of those underlying swap and, and pool markets. Amazing. All right, Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time out today to talk to us about mycelium, talk to us about Tracer Doubts. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, appreciate it, Jonathan. Great to chat. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller and this has been the Crypto Frontier.